So if you'll turn to the end of your Bible, turn back a few pages, and there's Revelation. One of the easier ones to find outside of Genesis. And I'll start out just by saying I love this book. I know beyond a doubt I've read this book more than any other book of the Bible. And that's what it makes it kind of neat, you know, doing the preaching style, which I do, this expository where I take a book of the Bible and we go through it a verse at a time and look at every word. Really, it's selfish uh, why I do it that way. It's selfish for me and actually selfish for you because we read God's word. I can mess up my part all the time, but as long as I proclaim God's word and I've read it, you know, I'm safe, you know, a little bit. And so there's a little selfishness, self-protection in there, but we also get to hear God's word and we get to read it aloud and we go through it as a group. You know, we have our private times with it, but to do it together corporately as a body. You know, that there's, um, there's something about that. There's promises of that. God blesses it, especially this book. He tells us uh, right at the beginning, in verse 3, that he blesses anyone who reads it and anyone who hears it. So the whole time we're in the book of Revelation, we're going to be blessed by it. I mean, it's one that God puts a special promise on it. I think it applies to all of his word, but he tells us directly for this one. I think it's to motivate us to read it and to study it. Because he knows what we have self-preservation in mind, and so he uses that. Um, this book tells us flat out from the start that he's going to bless us for reading this. And uh, as um, uh, Lord Falgren has a, has a book series by Randy Alcorn that kind of shows you an insight to the devil and the demons and their realm, and they say God's the great hedonist. He's always trying to do something better for them. He's always trying to better them. He's always trying to lure them with you know, self-preservation. Right. God has our best interests at heart. You know, the enemy sees that as a bad thing. I see that as a good thing. He's wanting to take care of us. He's wanting to provide for us. He's wanting to teach us and instruct us and to guide us and to warn us and to prepare for things in the future. So yeah, he blesses this book. And so with that though, knowing that right there at the beginning, verse 3, blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things that were written therein for the time is at hand. This book, no wonder it's a book that is attacked. It's probably one of the books that gets the most flack for even saying you're going to read it and study it. Ha, Revelation. Are you going to study that? You're going to do that again? You're going to talk about those things? You know, you can get this way. It's a controversial book. So many avoid it. Um, you know, uh, it is a controversial book. There's a lot of weird things kind of in here. Uh, that's one reason a lot of people stay away from it. I don't want to say weird things. I like my job. I'm not going to say weird things in front of people, and so I'll play it safe, and I'll just play it with the, the well tried and the truth. Well, that's okay. The uh, majority of churches might have that view, that they're not going to touch it, and they don't recommend people reading it. I've actually known people that say, oh, our pastor told us to stay away from that, and don't read that, and don't, don't go to there. You'll go crazy. You know, I remember one guy saying that, you know, if you do read it, you have to read it within my presence. It's like, who's going to get together the preacher and read, you know, too much? And so, you know, and it doesn't happen too much, and so they just avoid it altogether. Um, and, and sadly, that's kind of the trend for today, uh, the way churches are. And I'm not trying to say that, oh, we're so much smarter and holier because we're going to go through it. Maybe I'm just blissfully ignorant, but, I don't, but, but it says here he blesses us. You know, and I take it for what it literally says. And so I want to read all of his word. I'm not going to be like, I want to read all of that one. That one's a hard one, or that one's this way. And uh, No, so I'm not going to avoid it. It's controversial because, and preachers avoid it because it rocks the boat. It ruffles feathers. 
Uh, it draws some sands in the line. And that's not a, you know, if you want a comfortable position where you're not being challenged and putting yourself in a way where the people could vote you in or out, you know, they, they avoid that. So I want to thank you for letting me rock the boat <laughs> and pick hard books and go through and say hard things. Uh, that is a, a good blessing for a pastor from his people. So I do appreciate that. Uh, and it is a hard book. It requires a good understanding of the rest of the Bible. And I think that's uh, a praise unto this church, as that has a love for the Word, and so we go through the Word. You know, and the good basic understanding, I don't have a problem on a Sunday morning now going through this book with my congregation because my congregation knows the book, you know, knows the whole Bible. We, we understand, we've been through it. We're not afraid to go through those books of the Bible. Since I've been here in the... Uh, close to 13 years now, from what I could count up this morning, and I'm probably a little lacking, we've gone completely through 17 books of the Bible. Uh, you and I have taken time and read through and looked at every word through 17 books of the Bible. You know, that's like if you're like, I don't know if I could ever read the Bible. Just come to church. You live through 17. You know, and so we'll do it together in that way. And so I think that's pretty neat. I think if you're faithful and you're here, you've hit most of those books of the Bible as we've gone through it between Sunday night, Wednesday night, and, and um, Sunday morning. So I, with that in mind, you know, we have a foundation as a church to be able to approach this book with a, a deeper understanding than we ever have before. I know every time I've gone through it, I've gleaned something because I've been through 1 Kings and 2 Kings and Daniel and Genesis and, you know, and all those other books that we've had time to go in there and set in them that we could be like, oh, now I have understanding for this. I think that's what this book is designed for. It's to drive us to the rest of it. It's also avoided because it talks about those uncomfortable topics like judgment, wrath, death, making good choices versus bad choices, about hell. It's that pesky book that talks about eternal punishment for those who've rejected Jesus Christ. Uh, that doesn't sell a lot of entrance. You know, into there. So, uh, but it's the cold, hard facts. You know? Uh, it's not seen as a positive book, you know, so a lot of people, you know, hey, we only give a positive, encouraging message here. That's all well and good, but is that the whole picture? Is that, is that what we're supposed to paint? And I would say that this is a positive and encouraging book. It positively says you need to repent and trust in Jesus Christ, you know, because you're definitely going to have to face, and it encourages you to avoid, you know, the lake of fire and eternal judgment. You know, this is pretty much, this book is the gospel trying to tell you, repent and trust in him, avoid all this judgment that is coming. That's God warning us. That's God looking out for our best interests you know, and giving us an advance. And so this, again, it, it, I see that as positive. That is a positive message. This is a message that is showing us the dangers of head and wanting to avoid us. I don't think it's narrow-minded or a negative message to say bridges out. You know, I think that's warning me and, and a thankful thing that I'm, well, I'm glad I knew the bridge was out. I'm going to turn around and go the other way. You know, and so that's what this book is. It's a bridges out warning you know, to get us to turn around. And so... I, th I think another reason people avoid it is because they've lost heart. You know, they were all maybe ready for his return at one time, and it didn't happen. And they're like, oh, I guess he's not coming. We're short-sighted. We're used to the Amazon Prime, two-day guarantees of shipping, and I was really hoping I was getting it in one day. And why can I have it this afternoon? Where are those drones? You know, that's, we've just been through that season, right? How many... Guilty. It's like, I think I still have time to get it shipped here. You know, and then my mailman's out there. I have to mandatory work 24 hours a day. And I'm like, I appreciate it. Thank you. You'll be back tomorrow. You know, as I ordered last minute gifts. You know, that's, that's our world. You know, so we're kind of an instant. Man, I want to know if it's not going to happen right now, then it's never going to happen. Is that real? Is that really how it is? No. And so they get tired of waiting. Or they thought God's forgotten them. And so they've given up hope. 
No, God is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's how I take it. I've been excited about this since the 70s. The first time I read it and understood it, well, the first time I got saved, it's what, it was a motivating factor for me to be saved because I realized that God was coming back, Jesus Christ was going to come back to judge the earth, and I knew that I was lost. I'd be like, I'm going to die, I'm going to go to hell, and he deserved to send me there. He's right in doing that. And so it motivated me as a 13-year-old boy to walk forward and say, I need to get things right. You know, so I appreciate this. I appreciate that message. And I've looked for him to return. There's been times I've been thinking, like, boy, I really look forward to going on vacation. Lord might come back, though. You know, it's like, and I've kind of had that anticipation in, in mind. And I've never been disappointed. I've seen this long-suffering that God would allow another one. And I see him as that way. It's kind of like, Lord, do we go now? And he's like, wait just a minute. A few more. There's still time for more. You know, for him to gather it in. Noah waiting on the ark. I've got plenty of room. Come on in. God's got plenty of room. Come on in. He's wanting people to get saved. But lastly, I think the reason why a lot of people avoid this book is that we've gotten worldly. Life is good. Things are going well. I've got a house, car, plans. Stock market's up or down, or up or down. That's how it is lately. That's why I have money. I don't have money. I have money. I have retirement. I have a plan for all these things. We got all this. It's comfortable here. I know here and now. I'm good. We're good. So I don't think too much about the future. I don't think too much about what might be worldly, earthly minded, bogged down with the cares and the affairs of here and now. Revelation and other books of the Bible kind of tell us that's to be expected as we get closer to these events happening. Apathy from those who claim to know Christ, who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Those where he says in one of the parables, you know, that they get so sidetracked that they forget to watch and to wait for their Lord to come, to, they forget to serve him, they begin to be mean to fellow Christians that they say or they are part of and, 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 and mock them and make fun of them and go out and get drunk and do whatever else is the literal words that he says. You know, they get so just, hey, it's here and now, he's forgotten, he's not coming back. Let's live it up. Selfishness. Worldliness, apostasy is a word that he uses about the church in the end times. And then there's a specific word that he uses in the book of Revelation to describe the church of the end times. Lukewarm. Neither hot nor cold. Not really stirred up about anything. Cruising by. He says he spews those out of his mouth. I don't want that. (laughs) I don't want that for us. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. So we're, we're going to read this book. And so... Uh, this book is rich. It's a rich book. Again, he's promised us blessing. God uses this richness to draw us to it. You know, there's something about um, mystery that intrigues me. Um, uh, first thing I got back, I got some texts from some friends on Wednesday. He's like, what Batman stuff did you get? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I got, a, I got a couple of Batman. You know, and that's, that's my Christmas go-to Christmas present, but... Ah, this year I got some more mystery-related things. You know, we built a Bigfoot bus that's up here. Yeah, it's still here. <laughs> I will take it home. But, but, uh, it's, it's not fun to drive. <laughs> but it, we'll get it home. But it's, it's, you know, we've, it's got a mystery involved on there. So I got more mystery-related things. I got some mystery game, puzzle game, stuff like that. There's something about a lure of a mystery in a puzzle. You know, something that draws us. And God knows that, you know. And so he whets our appetite with... Here's something that's kind of coded in here. Here's something that's here. Can you figure it out? Can you get to go? And 
And he helps us. You know, he helps us do that. I like that. He's a good helper. The kids kind of get mad at me sometimes when I, if I'm running the bus and there's people in the back, they're like, Dad, you're getting too many clues. Dad, I'm like, I want to see him succeed. That's how God is. He wants to see us succeed. He's going to give us clues. He's going to give us little nudgings as we go on that long. He's like, you're getting close. He's going to tell us that. And that's what he's doing here. And I think because God is doing that and he's used this mystery and this thing that makes us us and, and he knows our nature and he's drawing us to it. That's why Satan wants to keep us away from it. I think there's a number one clue why we should study this book. If Satan's doing all these other things to bog us down to say, stay away from it tells you there's something worth studying in here. You know, the fact that the enemy has people telling us, avoid this book. That book will drive you crazy. You can't understand this book. No one agrees with it. It's a controversial book. It's a book about hell. It's a book about all these things. Why would you want to study that? tells me it's one we ought to study because the enemy is doing his best to throw us off track, to get us pulled away to something else. And so, yeah, it makes me want to read it because I'm a rebel. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a rebel against him and what he's doing. And so... Here's a good place to start before I go too much further. Verse 1. It's always a good place to start. We're going to go verse for the time. So Revelation 1.1 1, 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and he signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of his testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. That's, you know, they say, you know, the beginning of the book's one of those things that an author really labors over. You've got to get that hook to get him in there. <laughs> he's got me hooked. He's already told me things. He's going to bless me. If I read it, he's going to bless me. If you hear it, you know, that he's put some signs in here. You know, that's at hand. You know, he's kind of got that menacing, ah, the time is at hand. He's, he's got a lot of things getting us. This is a loaded, loaded passage. We're, we'll look at verse 1 here mostly. So, the revelation is how it starts out. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation. Here's one thing I want to caution us all on, and it's one to do. It's the revelation, not revelations. Uh, it's not plural. It's one revelation. It's not like a whole bunch of convoluted revelations. It is one revelation. Uh, it is one thing. And so... A little pet peeve, sometimes I hear people, oh, well, have you ever studied the book of Revelations? It's like, it's Revelation. Yeah, and so it is there. I'll try to say anything to you. But it, it is there, and it's, it's kind of a hard thing because it's been used that way a lot. Oh, it's Revelations. Let's understand this. It is one Revelation. It is one thing. And so it's, it's not many. It's just one complete one. Um, and let's just start with that word, Revelation. And we can already see the enemy at work right here. Uh, the Greek word here for Revelation is the word apocalypse. Ooh, that already kind of puts you on your heels, right? The apocalypse. Uh, that, that's, uh, that, that sounds like terrifying stuff, right? The apocalypse. You know, that's how it's usually always used, right? Oh, it's apocalyptic. The apocalypse is coming. Uh, they, uh, the word paints it in that way. You know, it's an apocalyptic movie. It's post-apocalyptic world. It's, you know, that, that's one that's thrown around a lot. That's the enemy working. If we have any kind of pause, you know, if we hear the word, the apocalypse. That's his campaign at work against this book. Putting his negative PR upon it. Apocalypse and revelation means the unveiling. That's not so menacing, is it? I guess it depends on what side you're on. That's <laughs> uh, unveiling. That uh, means revealing, revelation, revealing. You know, things are being revealed, opened up to us. Um, making it evident is the deeper, you know, he's making things clear. Oh, that's it. You know, I, I might have been a little unsure. Now he's made it clear. He's made it evident to me. He's unveiled it. That's what this is. And this is 
And I like the unveiling best of its description because it speaks to mankind's heart. You ever wondered about the future? Who hasn't, right? What's tomorrow hold? Let alone if you look down the line, what's it like? I, I'm goofy, probably be the right word, but I, I can drive through and go through Trafalgar. I'll be like, remember back to high school, and I'm like, uh, it was one stop light, and uh, you know, it wasn't even a stoplight, it was a flashing light, you know, because the school went out here, and this was this way, and like, there was no restaurants, and this was, oh, that was, we're, we're, we're Dairy Queen and all that is, that was the FFA's practice field, you know, that, that's where they plowed things over and learned how to drive a tractor, and, and just how different things changed, I try to think, could I have imagined this in the future, so I time travel a lot in my head, you know, what was it like, and what is it like, what's it going to be like, you know, in, in a little while, there's a sign up, what's that going to be, you know, is that going to be? Another gas station? Wow. You know, that's just you know, the metropolis of Trafalgar. But what's the future? You know, let alone, what's the end of the world like? Well, I think that's a curious question that most humans have at some point in time. Uh, is there life after death? That's an appealing question that a lot of us have all faced throughout mankind, throughout history. Is it reincarnation or is it judgment? There's a big debate that goes on in the world today. Are you reincarnated or is there some judgment that you have to face in the future? Um, Heaven or hell? You know, is that the two destinations? Are there more options? You know, a lot of people ponder about that. Um, you ever wonder what the end times would be like? Not just like the end of the world, but what would those times of the end be like? What about the Antichrist? There's, there's someone. Have you ever speculated about him and what he, he is? Uh, this dark figure that's hinted out and, and, and there's some clues left throughout the rest of the scripture? How about eternity? What's eternity like? Not just like the end of the world, but what's eternity like? What are we going to do forever? What, what's it going to be like? What will happen? Who will live there? What's the setting? What, what, what will it be like? Is it a, those are questions that people have. Will we see God? Will we see Jesus one day? That's just a few common questions that people have. You know, they wonder about. Daniel wondered about it. We just studied the book of Daniel on Wednesdays, and he was like, ah, I don't understand. They're like, seal it up. Oh, seal it up. I want to understand. You know, he had the curiosity about these things because he was told that these were about the end. The times of the end, these things will be open. Paul did. Peter did. You know, we have the disciples in Matthew 24. What's the end going to be like? You're asking Jesus you know, right there, an end-time account, a little class, a little private study with Jesus. You know, they had that kind of curiosity. It's within man to have a curiosity. What's the end? What's it going to be like? That's what this book is. God has uh, taken mankind's questions, what he wonders about, his curiosity, and he said, okay, I'll put it in a book. And I'm going to take the curtain, and I'm going to pull it back and say, here's what it is, unveiling. Taking the curtain, pulling it back. I don't know, the image you always gets the Wizard of Oz, total grabbing the curtain, pulling it over. Here's what's really going on. That's what God's saying. Here's what's really going on. Here's what's really happening. Here's what's really going to go on. Because we have all these false teachers and all these false things and all these false prophets and all these false things. So God's like, I'll tell you what's really going on. I'll tell you what's really happening. He unveils it. He pulls back the curtain and says, look. That's pretty much Christmas, right? We just came off Christmas, and so I was already thinking that way. It's like you got a package wrapped, and you're holding it on your lap, waiting for your turn to unwrap it, and you're kind of like, Kind of heavy. And you're, if you're subtle about it, uh, shaking inside some slide, and I can't tell what. So you do all these things to try to get an image in your mind what this might be. You know, if you have somebody in your family that decorates it weird, you're like throwing you off the path. You know, you always try to do that. But when you unveil it, you know what it is, right? You, you rip it open, and you're, oh, that's what it is. It's unveiled. That's what God is doing here. He's unveiling all these questions to us. So this book is an unveiling, the revelation, the unveiling. It's a book about completeness. 
The fancy word for it in, in the Bible world is uh, consummation. It's the consummation of many things that are in this book. Uh, matter of fact, to make sure we don't miss it, you know, God knows we're dense, and so he puts the number seven throughout it. And you're going to notice the number seven in the book of Revelation, because the number seven is completeness. One week is done in seven days. It's complete. You start a new week. And so he has seven of a lot of different things through here. I think 50-some. You know, it's different sevens. Complete. This book is a book of completeness, and there's these seven things that are showing us this. Um, things completed uh, that are in this book. There is uh, the church's end. How's the church end? completed in this book um, the answer is there a resurrection find the answers in this book it would be all, the glorifying of the saints completed in this book tribulation what's a tribulation going to be like all those questions we'll find the answer it'll be completed in this book tell us how it begins tell us how it ends um, satan and his world system will be unveiled to us we'll see how it ends you know we know how it began we'll, we'll, we'll see how it ends uh, judgment of the nations will happen you know That'll be contained in here. The Antichrist, his rule and reign, we'll see that. It's all completed and done, gone away with. The Messiah's kingdom, set up and established. There is no end to that one. You know, but it continues on. We get to watch that. He tells us the future of our world. You know, he tells us what's going to happen here. Hint, it's not uh, global freezing. It's not uh, man doesn't pollute ourselves out of it. And man doesn't destroy it. You know, he doesn't do a nuclear arms racing at all. We don't go off planet in a rocket ship. Spoilers. You know, we don't have to go find some other world because we ruined this one. You know, it's a, many a plot to a story about mankind. Gonna, we've ruined this one. We've got to move on. Uh, the earth doesn't fare too well through it. You know, there's a lot of destruction that happens, but uh, God revives it all in the end. You know, restores it. You know, the Eden lost is Eden restored. You know, that we have this completion in this book. Um, it tells us about the end of the world. It tells us that, yes, there is life after de- death, and yes, there is a judgment, no reincarnation. You will be judged, and you will spend eternity either with him on the new heaven and new earth or in the lake of fire. Choose wisely. This is part of the things that are complete and told in this book, one of the themes. Uh, yes, there is that heaven and the hell. Uh, he tells us what the end times will be like. Uh, we don't want to be here. Uh, he tells us uh, that we all live for eternity, one place or another, heaven or hell. There is no annihilation. You know, so that's uh, popular in cults. That, that is not a part of, the, of what God says. Um, we have choices to pick. So choose now. Uh, like I said, the, there's the new heaven, new earth. There's the lake of fire. Uh, we get to see God. We, we get to see him on his throne. We get to see Jesus Christ ruling and reigning. We get to see him unrolling a scroll. We get to see him as he comes back on the white horse. We get to see him establishing his kingdom. We get to be eyewitnesses of some of the coolest things in history. You know, I've often wondered through the Old Testament, what was it like to be there? We will get to be there for a lot of these, when Christ returns to the earth, the second advent. I miss Christmas. I wasn't there the first time when he was born in nativity. I was not a shepherd who ran into the field. I will be there as Jesus Christ touches his feet on the earth and reestablishes his rule and reign on the earth. That's pretty cool. That we get to witness the second advent of Jesus Christ. And so, um, and we can live with him forever. He tells us and reveals to us that there is a supernatural realm and they are very active in this world. We get to see that. God pulls back the curtain. He shows it to us. It's unveiled. The apocalypse. The revelation. But look, there's even more. <clears throat> so, verse 1. Chapter 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's specifically revealed to us through this book. Jesus Christ, the subject of all Scripture, Jesus Christ, will be fully revealed to us in the book of Revelation. We've seen him as the suffering servant. We've seen him as the lamb that was slain. 
We've seen him as the kind and compassionate teacher who's trying to instill to us and to teach us the ways that he expects us to live, the ways that we can live to be like him, the uh, ways that we are to serve others. He's long-suffering. He's very forgiving. He's very clever. Uh, We see a lot of that through the Gospels of Jesus Christ and others. He's very approachable. You know, suffer the little children to come unto me. He has time for everyone to come to him. He calls men and women, boys and girls, uh, to come into his kingdom. But the book of Revelation will show us that he's also holy, righteous, the judge of the universe. He's a protector of the innocent. He is a protector of widows and orphans. He is a defender of his children. He is a defender of his prophets, of his preachers, of his priests, of his teachers. He will pour out his wrath on his enemies and those who have violently abused his people. The Bible tells us he is a consuming fire. He comes to judge the earth and to set up his kingdom with a rod of iron. Jesus is unveiled to us, and he's no longer that suffering servant, but he is the holy king who comes to execute his wrath on the wicked. See, the the world doesn't much like that picture. They don't like that that there's going to be judgment. They don't like that they're going to be held accountable. That's why they're usually like, well, he's not judging. Yeah, he is. (laughs) And he tells us what's right and wrong, and he holds us accountable to it. Now, he's long-suffering, and he's patient, not only that he should perish, but he's trying to draw people into himself. But yes, one day he will judge everyone. He'll judge this earth. He'll judge this world system. Hmm. Let's finish this verse. He says, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he'll be revealed to us throughout this book. Which God gave unto him. This revelation is a gift from God to Jesus. He's told him, he's like, here's what the end will be. And he gives it to him. And then Jesus gives it to us, right? Because we're his bride. He says right here, God gave it unto him to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. So God gives Jesus this revelation to give to us. Matter of fact, he wants us to show it to his servants. Are you his servant? And God has a message for you, written specifically for you, so that you would see it, so he would show it to you and have Jesus communicate it to you. The Holy Spirit teach you and open up your heart and eyes and help you to understand this. So why is this such a vilified and ignored book? Because it's a message from God to us directly to his soldiers on the earth here and now to, to show us and to tell us so that we might know these things. He says right here, he's given it to us to show it to his servants. These things must come to pass. Are we his servant? Yeah, so you can see why the enemy tries to keep it out of our hands. You can see why the enemy's kind of like, that's confusing, don't read that, that'll drive you nuts, stay away. No, he wants us to read it. God wants us to read this. He's given it to his son. His son is faithful in delivering the words when he was on the earth. One of the last things he says when he praised his God before he's crucified is, Lord, I've delivered all the words unto them. I said everything I was supposed to say. I told them everything you told me to tell them. Now God's like, and here's another one. So he delivers it to his faithful servant John, gives it to him to give to us. And we have it preserved for us here today that we can read and study. It says here, for the servants, things which must, must shortly come to pass. It's not like, oh, will these things happen? Uh, yeah, God said they must happen. They, they must occur. They, they, they will happen. So yeah, it's going to happen. And then it says, will shortly come to pass. I think that's one that's burned a lot of people out. Like, um, it's been 2,000 years. 
and it's not happened. But it's not necessarily saying, oh, it's soon, as much as it is when it happens, it's quick. Boom, boom, boom. Once these things begin to happen, it's going to be so fast, it'll be like knocking you on your heels and you don't know how to deal with it in that way. Uh, one way they said it, it's not like it's definitely necessarily perceived as a, an event off in the end, as much as we are running parallel with it, and that at any moment it can happen, and once it begins happening, it is here upon us, and it is here quickly. Uh, it's impending, I guess is a better word to put here that we could kind of use for it. These things must shortly come to pass, quickly come to pass, that it is impending on us, that when this happens, it's going to happen, it's going to happen quick. Again, it says he signified it here, but the best way to kind of describe that is if a woman's pregnant, right? Uh, if she's pregnant, she's shortly going to have a baby. She's soon going to have a baby. You ask her, this baby's never going to come. You know, it's like, I'm tired of waiting. When's this baby going to get here? Especially the closer it gets. It's never coming. It's never going to happen. When's my baby going to arrive? You know, it's like, it's quick and it's over and it's done and it's right there on the cusp. And it seems like forever, but boy, once it starts, there's no stopping it. And that's kind of the, 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 the emphasis that he's putting on this. The, that boom, once it pours out, it is going. There's no holding it back. Um, and then he says, Must show me the house. And he sent, so he sends it to him, and signify it by his angels. So the angels had some work in here too. But it says they signified it. That means they put it into symbols. And it makes sense. That's logical. One, we're in war. Right, and so uh, he's going to communicate to us in a way that we know and understand it. In World War Two, uh, we you know, we had all kinds of codes that we sent out to make sure the enemy couldn't crack it. Uh, the best one we had was the Navajos, right? The Navajo language. They spoke in a language that wasn't written. Only Navajos knew and understood it. Uh, the Germans tried and tried and tried. They couldn't crack it. You know, the what are they called windwalkers, wind talkers, something like that. You know, so these these guys that were just they couldn't get it. The Germans had the Enigma machine. You know, it was this typewriter right thing where they'd hit this key and it'd do some complicated thing and it would write down something else. You know, it wasn't until we captured one was able to back you know track it and figure it out. You know, they were writing messages. We didn't know what they were saying. It was in German. No, it was in German coded German. Even worse. You know, so we had to like uncrack the code. You know, so we live in a day and age where God's like, I'm gonna write it in a, in a code. I'm gonna it's gonna be in, in symbols. I'm signified it. We're gonna put it in signs. Oh, no, so what do we do? You know, to understand signs, we have to have a key, right? If you're reading a map, you know, there's a legend at the bottom that tells you the keys. Oh, the blue squiggly thing's water. You know, oh, that means a bridge. That's an interstate. Uh, little crosses, normally graveyards. You know, you have all kinds of little symbols, big circles, little circles, towns, cities, you know, metropolises. You have all these symbols so that you can then look at the map and say, oh, I know what they're just talking about now. We need a key to unlock this book. We, ha- we have it. And we'll get to that, but it makes sense that it, it would be in symbols because, as Paul said, when he saw it, you know, he, he had a glimpse, and he says, I can't tell you what I saw. <laughs> it's inexpressible. I don't know how to convey to you what it is. You know, I had not seen, ear had not heard what I seen. You know, how do I tell you about what that is? And, you know, so it's inexpressible. And sometimes I think it's in symbols because it's stronger. You know, you could say, watch out, there's a bad, evil woman coming. Or you could say what the Revelation says, there is a woman who is drunk with, drunk with the blood of the saints. That paints a little better picture of how evil this woman is. That she loves to kill and get the blood of the saints, you know, out there. That, that doesn't just tell me a bad person. That tells me an evil person. You know, and so that symbolism of that language kind of builds and tells me about that, you know. And so that, that, that paints a picture. So Revelation is revealed to those who have the other 65 books. We live in a day and age where we have them all compiled together here for us, right? Or we have it on our phone that has it in Hebrew and in Greek and in, uh, what, 
ESV, CSB, NIV, New King James, King James. We have Greek lexicons. We've got it all. And we live in a day and age where we have it all together. Yeah. Especially the key thing to understand the book of Revelation is you must have the first 39 books of the Bible. That's why it's under attack today in the church too. That's why you see the growth of New Testament-only churches. We're not going to read those old, outdated books. That's a mean God. And the old, we're only going to read. We're, matter of fact, we're only going to, there's some that only study the, the writings of Paul. That's the limits they put up. We're only going to study the writings of Paul, and Paul tells them to read the other books. So, yeah, how's that going? You know, so you need them to read it all. We need the whole Word of God. The Bible tells us so. And so that's why it's under attack. You have to have the old 39 to understand this book. At best count, and I, I doubt that we're... 100% right, there's at least 500 allusions in the, old, in, the, in the book of Revelation to the Old Testament. 500 references. That is, let's see, I think there's 278 of the 400 verses. 70% of the book of Revelation is pointing us to the Old Testament. It has left a mark and then just said, go read and understand. I'll say this a little bit here, now go and understand. It's like Christ on the cross, right? When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. And he's saying, go read Psalm 22, and you'll see it's talking about me. They pierce my hand, I'm surrounded by the bulls of Bashan. I'm thirsty, they give me vinegar to drink. He goes through and he's telling them all this. I am fulfilling the scripture by quoting that little bit. Uh, Revelation does that and points us to the rest of the Bible. So, we need to know the rest of the Bible. So we'll be flipping around. And so it says, here you come to pass. And he signified it by his angel unto his servant John. He's given it to John. And it says of John here, and, and John is the John um, whom Jesus loved, is how he refers to himself in the Gospel of John. He wrote First, Second, and Third John, and he's written this book of Revelation for us. One that we were kind of told that, uh, and there's some speculation early on, that he would see all these things because Peter asked, what about him? And when the Lord tells Peter, it's like, uh, yeah, you're going to be bound and taken where you don't want to, and, and ultimately you're going to die. Uh, that's your future. He's like, well, what about him, Lord? You know, is he going to live to see the end? And he's like, don't worry about John. Uh, I'm going to tell him some things. And he does. You know, and he gives it to us. And so it's already kind of alluded to. So it's John, verse 2 says, who bear record of the word of God. He knows this is the word of God. It's not any speculation. So that means he's extra careful in what he writes. And of the testimony of Jesus Christ. He is sharing the testimony of Jesus Christ. He is telling us about Christ and his life in the future. Not necessarily the testimony in the past, but the testimony in the future. He's writing it down for us. That means he is careful. If you're handling God's word, you are to be careful. Matter of fact, this book ends with a warning. Be careful. Do not add or take away from the books of, of, of here. Which I think is probably another reason why it scares off a lot of preachers. And uh, so pray for me as we handle God's word. Yeah, but we're going to read it, and I'll try to show you when it's my opinion and when we're reading God's word. And then again, verse 3 ends with the blessing. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy. And keep those things written therein for the times at hand. I think we're going to pick up there next week because I want to know what he means by keep these things. This means we have to watch for them. So he's telling us again to wait. You know, we're keeping these things. We're watching. You know, hey, he said these things are going to happen. And so we're going to look at that. And so um, it's an exciting book. It's a book that drives us into the rest of the book. It's a book that is going to reveal our Savior to us. It's a book that tells us the curious questions that we have instead of going to the lost world and to psychics and to tarot cards and everything else and asking a Ouija board. We have it written for us. You can see why God gets so um, insulted by uh, when his people turn to others. And he's like, here, I've told you, I've told us in advance. But he says in the last days, all those things will grow. 
you know, there's several stores in Greenwood that are the only occult. Um, and so uh, we, we see a lot of things going on. So what's here to us here and now? So when are you his servant? If you're his servant, there should be a desire to read this book and to study it. Two, there should be a desire to understand Jesus Christ better. He's revealed to us in this book. And uh, we want to serve our king, right? We want to be prepared for this kingdom as it comes. And three, not necessarily in these verses, but this book tells us that there is eternity. And you're going to spend eternity either on a new heaven and a new earth, ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ, or in the lake of fire, which burns forever, where the beast and the false prophet are, and the devil was cast to his own place. Uh, avoid that place. God tells us, choose life, time and again. Choose life. I put before you, life and death. Choose life. Choose life. If you don't know him as Savior, we ask you that you'd repent and trust in him today.